Dear God, we do thank you for your word to us in the Bible. And we ask that this morning you please help us to understand what you're saying to us. Uh, please give us ears to hear and faith to entrust our greatest need to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our world is, is constantly telling us uh, what we need. I hope we've got it on the screen up there. Uh, an ironing board mirror, a, uh, a cup holder umbrella. I love this one, a cup holder umbrella. Uh, <laughs> pizza scissors, for those of us who, who love our pizzas. Uh, a combo scooter stroller. See what you think of that one. Uh, now, I think probably this is my favourite, and uh, those of you who have trouble with the toothpaste tube, the toothpaste tube squeezer. <laughs> what is it that you need? What is it that you need? What's your greatest need? I wonder if you have given much thought to that. Is it to do with health or relationships or finances, your future? just wanting a peaceful life. Did you know that Jesus says that he knows your greatest need? Jesus knows your greatest need. And here's something even more staggering. Jesus is the one who can meet your greatest need. Uh, that Bible reading we had this morning from Mark, we meet a man with a real need. Uh, he's paralysed. He is totally reliant on friends or family. He's probably reduced to begging. Uh, in first century Israel, there's no social welfare, no safety net to catch people whose lives are in difficulty. He can't move. Uh, he is reliant on his friends to move him. And this is his life, uh, lying on his mat day after day, no internet, <laughs> uh, no mobile phone. This man has real need. So why do his friends bring him to Jesus? Well, so far in Mark's account of Jesus, we've seen that as Jesus travelled the countryside, his reputation, uh, Jesus' reputation has spread like wildfire. He was teaching. Uh, he was healing people from diseases. He was lifting them out of their suffering. He was changing people's lives. But Jesus wasn't just doing wonderful things. He was saying wonderful things. He spoke of wonderful things. He spoke of God's love and care for people. He spoke of forgiveness and mercy. The mercy of God wanting all people to turn to him. Now, not surprisingly, these guys have heard of the wonderful things that Jesus has been doing. They've probably even met uh, some of the people uh, who has had, have that who've had their lives changed by Jesus. And isn't it great that this paralysed man has four friends who want to bring him to Jesus? Four friends so excited that they've got together, they've arranged to take him to Jesus, to meet him, to be changed by Jesus, for Jesus to uh, meet his greatest need. And uh, it's great if that's why you're here this morning, because friends have invited you. Uh, friends have uh, brought you along. And even if you've come a little bit reluctantly, not sure why you're here, uh, my prayer is that you won't go home disappointed. That you will meet Jesus. That you'll be changed 
by Jesus, that Jesus will meet your greatest need. Uh, with so much talk uh, swirling around the countryside about Jesus, it's no surprise that when they arrive at the house where Jesus is, there's such a huge crowd that's gathered, there was no room. There was not even room outside the door. It is wall-to-wall people. Crowds climbing every vantage point. They're sitting on the roofs. They're peering through windows. They're standing shoulder-to-shoulder, just like your favourite coffee shop on, uh, on Saturday morning. They're all there to hear Jesus teaching, teaching the word of God. But at the moment, we don't get to hear what Jesus is saying because Mark's focus, Mark, our gospel writer, shifts to tell us about these four men and their paralysed friend. The guys carrying the matter, trying to make their way into the house, you know, pushing, excuse me, could you? But it's no good. They can't, they can't, get, they can't get through. They can't even get close. So they decide to go onto the roof and make an opening above where Jesus is speaking. Then they will lower the mat that their paralysed friend is lying on. And what a scene that would have been. Can you imagine in here now? You know, hole in the roof and, 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 and clay and straw and wood falling on people, dust and, and noise, chaos as the owner of the house sees a new skylight being put in. The crowd looking up, seeing four faces looking down through this massive hole in the roof and the paralysed man lying on his mat, now lying at Jesus' feet. The dust and the noise settle. There's an air of expectancy. You can sense the excitement, the tension is building. What will Jesus say? What will he do? The house quietens. Everyone is waiting for Jesus to do something to heal this man of his paralysis. But then here's the surprise. Mark tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. What? You can bet that the paralyzed man is thinking, my my sins are forgiven. And I wonder if he'd even be saying to Jesus, uh, as politely as possible, "Uh, excuse me, um, That's lovely, but I'm not lying on this mat because it's an easy way of getting around. Can you see I've got a bit of a problem? And I was hoping maybe you could deal with it for me, please. Jesus hasn't done what we would have expected, has he? And what is going on? Well, we need to just stop and think for a moment because Jesus is no idiot. He knows about this man's problem. He knows this man is in desperate need, but Jesus deals with his greatest need first. Jesus knows that it is far more important at the end of all things, when God blows his whistle and said it's full time, it's all over, everyone out of the pool, that this man is able to stand before God as someone who is forgiven. Someone whose relationship with God is fixed put right, restored. Jesus is declaring that being unforgiven by God is the biggest problem this man, any person, could ever have. Our need, your need, to be right with God, to be forgiven by him, it puts all our, any of our needs, any of our problems, any of our difficulties into perspective. You need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. 
All people need forgiveness. And if not dealt with, it has massive consequences. Being cut off from God for now and for all eternity. So I ask you this morning, do you know this forgiveness? Have you received this forgiveness? Because in Jesus' opinion, this is the one problem we must have put right ahead of everything else. Growing up as a child and as a teenager and as a young adult, like many other people, I thought sin, sin it's, you know, it's doing the wrong things. It's saying rude words. It's having bad thoughts. It's doing bad things, lying, cheating, hating others, that, that sort of thing. And when I became a Christian in my early 20s, I discovered, yeah, they're sins, but they're symptoms of a greater problem. It's like saying that your cough, your high temperature and your headache are a symptom of a greater sickness, that is, that you have COVID. The, the greater problem, the greater sin, the real sickness is that even though we know God is there, rather than live our lives depending on him, we try to live independent of him. We like the good things that God gives, but rather than trust him, Rather than look to him for life and direction and meaning and purpose, purpose largely we ignore him. We might, you know, we might run to him every now and then when we hit a problem or a crisis. We've got a sickness. Oh God, please help me with my sickness. Or help me get this job or help me stay in this job. But largely we're not trusting him or relying on him or looking to him. We're basically saying, God, look, I like the good things you give, but I don't want you. And God says, okay, if you, you don't want me, you don't get me. Now and for eternity. In other words, we experience eternity cut off from God forever. Cut off from his goodness. Cut off from his love from his kindness, from his mercy. This is why God's forgiveness is our greatest need because without it, we are cut off from the source of all real life and joy and peace and contentment and love and security. We, we cut ourselves off from God. The source, when we cut ourselves off from God, the source of real life, we become like a, a bunch of flowers in a vase of water. You know, we flourish for a while, we look good, we look pretty, but like the flowers, we wilt. We struggle. Life doesn't make sense. Anxiety about the future, about life takes over. Holidays are good, but they finish. Work can be okay, but we lose our job or we become trapped in the promotion cycle. We value family, but we struggle with relationships. We, we try to fill the centre of our life where God should be with everything but God and like the cut flowers, they do not last. We fill our lives with shopping or, or pleasure or holidays or alcohol or porn or, or social welfare or just this whole uh, social media or, or this pressure to keep up, to be looking good, to keep our place in the world. But none of these can really sustain us. 
none of these things give us the meaning or the satisfaction or the, or the peace or the hope that we really need. And every now and then, it, this hits us. What are we living for? What's the, what's the point of it all? Oh, they like the words of a song that was around a few years ago by a group called The, the Verb. The song was called Bittersweet Symphony. These are some of the lines from the song. Of course, it's a bittersweet symphony, this life, trying to make ends meet. You're a slave to money, then you die. Because it's a bittersweet symphony, this life, trying to make ends meet, trying to find somebody, then you die. I mean, that's a bleak song, isn't it? But this is what life is like when you take God out of the picture. That bunch of flowers looks great for a while, but they lose their gloss, they wither. Now, as we think about this paralysed man, we know that Jesus sees our biggest problem. It's not losing our job or having a rough time or even being without the use of our limbs. Our biggest problem is not being in a right relationship with God. And this is what needs to be fixed first. Our biggest problem is that we reject God. Our biggest problem is sin. Sin offers us everything, delivers nothing, and ultimately separates us from God forever. Our greatest need is to be forgiven by God and to be put right with him. And when Jesus says to this paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, Jesus is dealing with this man's greatest need. Now have a look at Mark, what Mark says in verses 6 to 7. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The teachers of the law, they're the religious leaders of the day, they immediately recognise that Jesus is making an extraordinary claim. Now what do I mean? Why, why are they so upset? Well, let's say... Uh, one of you, we get, we get into an argument. Things get out of hand. It, it's unthinkable, but you come up and you slap me in the face. Someone else comes along to the slapper and says, oh, oh, I forgive you for that slap. Now, rightly, I'd be upset, wouldn't I? I mean, they, know, they have no right to forgive you for slapping me. I'm the one with the stinging cheek. I'm the one who's been assaulted. The other person has no right to forgive you for something you did to me. Only I can forgive the person who slapped me in the face. Now I wonder if you can see what's happening here. When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he is claiming to be able to forgive sins. He is claiming to be able to forgive our slapping God on the face, as it were, our rejection of God, our ignoring God. He says he is doing something that only God can do. Jesus is claiming that when you and I reject God, when we sin, we offend against him. The slap in the face was against Jesus. And he is therefore claiming equality with God. As God in human form, he's saying he's able to forgive sins. And this is why the teachers of the law are so freaked out. If this man, lying on his mat, is out of relationship with God, 
If he's wrong, God, only God can forgive. And Jesus is boldly declaring he has the authority of God himself to forgive this man's sin and this man's rebellion against God. And Jesus knows what the teachers of the law are thinking. So in verses 8 to 11, he says, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, that is Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. You're stuck on your mat. For years unable to move. And now Jesus says two things to you. Your sins are forgiven and get up and go home. Can you trust this man? What, what will you do? He said he can solve your biggest problem and he dealt with that first. Now he intends to prove it by solving your big problem. Can you dare trust him? We'll look at verse 12. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. He got up. Arms that were once useless a second ago now have the strength to, to push himself upright. Legs that you'd given up on. Bend. And, and before you know it, you're standing and, and, and you're crouching down to gather your mat. You straighten up and as you go out, the crowd parts to let you walk through. They are shocked. They've never seen anything like this before. They're just astonished. In one moment, Jesus has restored his body and restored his relationship with God. No wonder the crowd is astounded. Verse 12 continues, this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, it's easy for me to say to you, your sins are forgiven. But how would you know? Where's the proof? Well, Jesus gives the proof as he heals this man and sends him home. And no wonder the people are amazed. How do you think this man would have felt as he walked home? It would have been great to walk, to run, the freedom. What a relief. Jesus has healed his paralysis. But how do you think he'd feel knowing that he's been forgiven by God? His friends had brought him to see Jesus. And he's wondering, would there be a miracle? Would I, would I walk away from this visit? But Jesus did much, much more, didn't he? He gave this man more than just a better life in this world. He gave him forgiveness. He gave him eternal life. Jesus mended, his relation, mended this relationship between this man and God and he restored that which was broken and brought it back together again. Jesus offers this same forgiveness for anyone who would turn to him, anyone who would come to him. Knowing God's forgiveness affects our everyday life. It puts the issues of our life, our difficulties in perspective because when you're forgiven by God, your whole status as a person changes. Once an enemy of God, now you're his friend. The promises that he makes to his friends, they are such a huge source of comfort, strength and encouragement. 
God promises to teach you his word through the Bible. He promises to hear and answer your prayers. He promises to give you strength and wisdom to help you face life's difficulties, life's promises, or life's problems. He promises that no one is ever too bad to receive the forgiveness he offers. No one has done anything too bad to be forgiven by him. He promises nothing can ever separate you from his love. He promises you are secure in relationship with him. He promises to give you eternal life. He promises you a place in heaven. Being forgiven by God, put right with God, was this paralysed man's greatest need, and it is your greatest need. Jesus met that man's greatest need, and he will meet your greatest need when you come to him. Now this morning, uh, talking about Jesus, we've really only just had time to scratch the surface of the difference that Jesus makes. There is so much more. So I'm going to urge you this morning, keep thinking uh, about Jesus. Keep talking with others about Jesus. Uh, if you haven't already, go home and read uh, the account of uh, Jesus that Mark has in Mark's Gospel. Uh, talk to the ministry team. Talk to Gavin or to Andrew. Uh, sign up for the Christianity Explored course that's coming up. Don't let it be said about you that this was the only time you really stopped to think about Jesus, the one who meets your greatest need. What, what did the crowd come to hear when they came to see Jesus? What, what did you come to hear when you came to church this morning? Maybe you weren't really sure. Well, my prayer is that this morning, what you heard was Jesus. You heard Jesus promise your sins are forgiven. Now, some of you here this morning, you already know that promise. You've accepted it. You are trusting Jesus. You're living to follow him. And I hope that as you heard Jesus again say, your sins are forgiven. Oh, wow. You, you can rejoice in that. That is good news and you go home with great joy. But there are others here this morning who don't yet know the joy of that paralysed man. And if this is you, I want to urge you to come to Jesus, to trust him, to accept that he can do what he claims, that he can forgive your sin and make you right with God. Will you, like that man on his mat, get up, and put your trust in Jesus, knowing that your sins are forgiven, so you too can go home with great joy. Going home confident, assured that God keeps his promises to those whom he has forgiven. Going home in peace, knowing that as you go home, if you are forgiven by God, certainly God has met your greatest need. In a second, I'm going to pray that God will help you to take that step of, of putting your trust in Jesus, of coming to him and accepting the forgiveness that he offers. Now I'll pray it slowly, giving the opportunity for you to repeat the prayer in your head. Um, and then once I've prayed, I'll hand back to Gavin and he'll let you know what's, uh, what's happening next. Uh, let, let's, uh, let's pray together. <clears throat> 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he meets our greatest need, that he is able to forgive us and restore our relationship with you. Lord God, we ask that you'd please help us to take that step today to put our trust in you. Heavenly Father, please help us to trust you with every problem in this life and to live with you at the centre of our life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.